It's so good to see y'all. This is some shit. I'm telling you, this is Stone Cold Trip being back here in country. Mm, baby got off that plane. That heat hit me upside the head. Skabop, uh, just like in 68. Yeah, yeah, brother man. We are back. The blood is back. My blood don't die. We just multiply. Yeah, yeah. Soon to be fine. <laughs> and salutations everyone and welcome to another episode of the unfranchised the film podcast where we cover original films only no sequels no prequels no remakes no reboots in this episode we are going to discuss the five bloods the brand new spike lee joint now streaming on netflix my name is robert taylor and i write about film at our home base cultspark.com as always joining me for this episode is my podcaster in crime Stuart smith now, Stu, the people listening may or may not know this, but the fact of the matter is you and I are two lame white guys who like to talk about movies, but may not have the most relevant of insight to apply to the works of Spike Lee at this particular point in history. True or false? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. And it was actually your suggestion to do to Five Bloods. And my immediate reply was, yeah, but we better get somebody else on the show. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I had the immediate thought as well. So we thought for this episode, it might be fun to bring in a third podcaster. And we are proud to welcome, as the Unfranchised's first ever guest podcaster, a good internet buddy of ours, a certified movie fanatic, a professional video game critic whose byline can be found at Slant Magazine and GameSpot. And yeah, he also happens to be a person of color who we thought could bring a different and welcome perspective to this conversation Mr. Justin Clark. Justin, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, thank you for having my dulcet tones on your show. You're very welcome. We're, we're delighted that you're here. and We're delighted to have you at our first as our first guest. Now, Justin, you are here to join us in discussing The Five Bloods, which is incredibly, and I actually counted them, the 23rd film from writer-director Spike Lee. Ooh. It's a Netflix original that was just released a few weeks ago. The Five Bloods tells the story of four black Vietnam War veterans, played by Delroy Lindo, Clark Peters, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and Norm Lewis, who return to that country to recover the remains of their fallen squad leader, played by Chadwick Boseman, as well as a stash of gold bars that they buried while they were serving during the war. Things don't go according to plan, and the four veterans are forced to confront their past mistakes their current failings, and their place in history as black Americans who took up arms for a country that hasn't always repaid the favor in kind. I have a feeling we're going to be getting into at least some spoilers during this episode, so I'm going to throw a moderate spoiler warning up right now as we record. And if we end up moving into heavy spoiler territory, that's fine, guys, if you want to take it there. I'll make sure I put that in the show description so that the listeners are warned. Uh, always check the show notes before listening, kids. Uh, sometimes we choose to spoil and sometimes we choose not to. So, guys, my primary take is that The Five Bloods is three movies in one. It's a movie about how war changes men and sort of the negative effects it can often have on their mental well-being. It's also a heist movie set around wartime loot. And it's also a sort of socio-political look at being a soldier while also being black. And the thing is, is I think 
all of those movies have been made before, but I'm pretty sure they haven't all been made at the same time, which is what Spike does here. So I wanted to start by getting you guys' general thoughts on the movie, how well it worked for you, and since Justin is the guest here, Stu, I figured we should start with him. Oh, absolutely. So Justin, what'd you think of Defy Bloods? So this was absolutely fantastic and probably my favorite Spike Lee movie that he's made since Malcolm X, really. Not that he hasn't made great movies in between, but just the level of just, I don't know, you can tell when Spike is on one and like he really has something to say. And this is one where like he's been saving this shit up for a while and it all basically just came out as, like you said, three different movies. Well, four different movies, if we don't want to count the action movie it turns into at the end. Right. And just, again, you can tell when he has something to say, and in this one, like, he just kind of let it all flow out however he needed, and the result is just absolutely, like, this is an almost three-hour movie, and it blows by like nothing else. I absolutely adore this thing. It's, <clears throat> for me, it's it's top five Spike for me. Um, I mean, there's just, there's, you know, he's, he's made a war movie before he's made a, you know, a movie about black soldiers before with a miracle at St. Anna. But I mean, nobody really talks about that. You know, it, honestly, it's been forever since I've even seen it. So I, I can't really even remember if, if there's a good reason why that one kind of gets swept under the rug of his career. But I mean, this thing is just, it has an energy to it. Uh, just a, a, a tone and feel to it that really is is just not like anything else that he has made. I mean, he's made you know confrontational movies. You know, obviously, so, so much of what he makes is is you know pointed in a in a socio political way. But there's just I don't know. It's it's hard to put my finger on exactly what kind of separates this from a lot of the other socially topical stuff that he's done before it's if nothing else it's just uh i i just love watching these characters you know, just this this specific group of of actors put together is just so just great to watch in, in you know whether they're just giving each other shit you know at a bar or trudging through the jungle you know I'm trying to justify stealing a whole bunch of gold. I mean, I, I would listen to these guys play and do anything. So it's just, you know, it, it, I, I, I loved it. It's interesting. Do you guys think that, it, does it feel like that Spike Lee's angrier again and sort of more invested again? Or do you think Spike Lee's always been that way? But we have sort there's sort of more of a focus on him and his works now. You know, I see him popping up on CNN. I see him doing things online because of the state of the country and the things that are going on in this country. You know, the news on a nightly basis looks like things we would we have seen in Spike Lee movies. So do you think there's sort of a renewed focus on the man and his work? I'm, I'm just trying to decide if he's becoming relevant again because of things that are happening in the real world or if somehow he's refocused his own passions. I think it's a little bit of both i think just especially making black Klansmen and having to delve that deep into just our history and how none of this shit has changed and i think you know trump obviously being elected had a huge effect on him Definitely. but my pet theory like my personal pet theory is green book winning best picture fucking broke him <laughs> 
That's it's a strong theory. <laughs> I, it's a strong theory, but I'm gonna stick by it just because, like, if you hear him just talk about his reaction, just everything <laughs> that he was talking about, everything that was going on in the country, everything that even like the rest of the nominees were talking about at that particular point. Just, you know, he was angry enough making Black Klansmen. Like, after that, I have to imagine he was just like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go for whatever it is I got to say. And I think this was the result. And when artists get angry and furious like that, that's just kind of what happened. They Some really spectacular art comes of it. If it makes him feel any better, I've seen The Five Bloods and I've seen Black Klans- I've seen Black Klansmen. But I have yet to watch Green Book and really have no interest in doing so. So run, that, run far away and never return. That's for you, Spike. So, Stu, you, we had a different idea for this episode, which we postponed. You were the one who actually said, hey, we should do The Five Bloods. I'm going to guess that's just because it seemed timely. Yeah, I, I always want to try and, and focus this on, you know, just getting new stuff in front of people, especially just I mean, like you said, I mean, this, this only came out a few weeks ago, so while there is while it's still possibly at the front of netflix's recommendations for people uh you know if they listen to this and then see it in their see it in the rotation then you know hopefully people will will be more inclined to to seek it out uh but also just you know i i love spike lee i'm i'm a huge fan of his work um, there's really no one else like him making the kinds of movies that he does in the way that he, he makes them, uh, with the voice that he makes them. And so I, I just, you know, a, a lot of it is just, Hey, I love Spike Lee. This is, you know, another original from him. Uh, it fits all the criteria for this show. So, you know, why not, why not just go for it? Um, but kind of, you know, to the, to the point of, of your, your initial inquiry, you know, it, it, it feels like he has his stuff has never not been relevant, sadly, but it definitely does feel like to me like he's found a way to channel all of that, you know, just through the I don't want to say unique circumstances of the last several years. But I mean, there <laughs> the country hasn't felt like it's been in a place like this for a long time. Uh, and certainly, you know, not really since he was kind of in his, you know, at, at the height of his pop cultural visibility in like the late nineties and such, you know, so it just, I don't know. I, I think he's really, he's seizing the moment, uh, in a way that he hasn't really had a chance to pop culturally, um, for, for a good long while. And so he's just, he's grabbing it and running with it. So Black Klansman came out in 2018. So that's a post Trump getting elected movie. I thought that was a very angry feeling movie. So I, I, and one that I think actually leads pretty well into five bloods. He's, let's see, I'm going to open up his, I want to see what he made before, before black Klansman. I'm pretty sure it was Chirac. It was. So I haven't seen that. And I, let's see, we've got the sweet blood of Jesus before that. Yep. I don't know those films. Have you seen those, Justin? Yep. Yeah, so so were those Chirac, angry films? When 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 was has there been a change in sort of his films as we've moved we've moved through the Trump era or not? I would say they're subtly. Well, Shyrock in particular is definitely like an Obama level angry movie in that. So it's a remake of Lysistrata. I don't know who who of you knows that play, but it's the based, Aristophanes play. Yeah. Aha. There we go. I'm a um, drama nerd. 
Um, so yeah, so it's a remake of that where basically, you know, it's Chicago. Chicago has long had like, you know, just history of gang violence, especially this century. And just all the women of Chicago, just all the, well, all the black women specifically all decide they want, you know, they're not giving up any sex until this shit gets sorted out. And it's all about that. And it's a very like weird retelling of it. Like it's very just kind of dreamlike and hallucinogenic and, I like it, but it's also one of those things where, like, it's a very specific mood of not really knowing how to say it, but just kind of letting the story play out. Um, The Sweet Blood of Jesus is the same way. It's a remake of Ganja and Hess. I don't know who's seen that one, but that one's also just a weird-ass movie in general. Um, It's it's a vampire movie, right? It's a vampire movie, but it's a, again, it's a weird-ass vampire movie. Like, <laughs> it's one of those movies where I got out of it, and I was just like, I have not done enough drugs for this, I, and I don't know if I will survive if I do. But, I don't know, those are just very kind of like, again, it was back when Obama was in office. It was just kind of very, we still have problems, but we're still trying to figure out the most direct way to address them. Like, Spike is... I don't want to say complacent, but definitely just, I don't know, more relaxed about what he was trying to explore with those two. But I do think once Trump got elected, like almost every black person in the country that isn't Diamond and Silk, something just got (laughs) off where he just had to get something out there. I mean, it's definitely gotten me interested to reexamine his work because going through my relationship with Spike Lee's filmography is very spotty. I've seen some of the big early stuff, like Do the Right Thing, but I've missed some other stuff after that. I have seen Summer of Sam and 25th Hour, and I love 25th Hour. I think that movie's a masterpiece, but I also feel like, like if you're a white guy, I feel like 25th Hour is your favorite Spike Lee movie. I feel like that's like the white guy Spike Lee movie. <laughs> right? It's in my top three, but it's not it's number either one. That or Inside Man. Right. One of those two. <laughs> And then, and then, like I said, See, I didn't I'm, watch. I'm not a, no, I'm like, I like Inside Man, but it's not like that. It's definitely not my favorite. Yeah, it's solid. It's just kind of there. It, it, it's it's so, him doing it. It's him doing a, 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 you know, a blockbuster film. Right. And he, like, he tried, guys. Like the early 2000s, <laughs> mid 2000s, he really tried to meet white people halfway. He just made a lot of very kind of middle of the road, just kind of solid, like thrillers and dramas and war stories and all that. Like he really, really tried. And I think it was just like, he got to old boy. It was just like, look, let's, let's just try something. And when that didn't work, he was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to make sweet blood of Jesus and y'all just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> So that sounds like Justin. Then you think he's back where he should be now? Yeah, absolutely. Like again, there's good stuff in like the 2000s for him. Like I actually like Inside Man. As a matter of fact, um, Red Hook Summer was eh, okay. But, Did he film um, most of Red Hook Summer with like a, an iPad or something? Yeah, something along those lines. Like he again, he was playing around with stuff like stuff right. that was just very kind of Soderbergh esque and just kind of yeah. playing around with his craft. He had that freedom at that point. And then, like, you know, She Hate Me, I, that I did not see, so I can't even speak to that one. But just in between all that is just a lot of very kind of light work from him. But again, he's back where he should – well, I wouldn't say should be. Like, he should be able to make, like, weird little experiments. But again, this is not the time for that. He knows when he's needed. 
and we need a lot more black artists and people of color to realize that anyway. Like that angry kind of art is necessary. This is why I'm pissed off Rage Against the Machine hasn't reformed yet. Well, they're supposed to go on tour, right? Sort of. They, they were, were going I, to, and the pandemic had, wrecked it. But no new music. No new music, right? No new music, right? Now, but, now would be an excellent time for some new rage music. God, yes. Uh, fun fact: I've actually seen Spike Lee speak before. I was at like a Spike Lee. It wasn't really a Q and A because they didn't take audience questions. But when I was in college, they we have like a we had a speaker series at West Virginia University every year, and one of my last years of college. Spike Lee was like the headliner of the speaker series and I got to go see him like talk for 60 minutes and then like I covered it for the student newspaper I was the editor of and wrote a whole a whole article up that's probably buried in my attic in a box somewhere. It was uh, Spike Lee and Carl Bernstein were the two big ones that year and I actually got to talk to Carl Bernstein for a couple minutes but no luck with Spike. Uh, but I was in the same room with the man at least. You breathe Spike Lee's air. Good yeah, for you. that's correct. <laughs> um... All right, so here's where we get to fight about the movie. <laughs> because the truth is, I'm kind of soft on the five bloods, gentlemen. <laughs> get off uh, this podcast. What are you doing? I this thought, is my podcast now. I thought it was good, marginally good, and I think it's worth watching. I think it was way too stuffed. I think it's overlong. Um, sort of the three big things that I said the movie was about, like, that's a lot for a movie already. And then we have the MAGA hat and there's a Trump diatribe in the middle of it. And then all of a sudden we're talking about like Oxycontin and there's like this little opioid epidemic stuff thrown in. There's, re there's really disturbing real time war imagery thrown in, which I also, I also think this movie has sort of a tonal imbalance where sometimes it's like four old geezers on an adventure. And then 15 minutes later, it's like, here is some of the most disgusting stuff you will see in a movie this year. And I, I, I marginally liked it. I thought Black Klansman was better, honestly. I thought Black Klansman was just as angry, had just as important things to say, but was a much more focused film. So who, who wants to yell at me first? I'll do it. I'll do it. Yes. I'll do it. Justin, I pick you. <laughs> so I want to speak especially to the part about it being all over the place because what I really, really respected about it is the fact that it's all this stuff about being, especially of that generation, about being black that doesn't get talked about all that much. Like, yeah, there's that MAGA hat reveal, and then just all of a sudden, like, I feel like if I saw that in the theater, like, that would be the moment the audience turns on Delroy Lindo, like, <laughs> immediately. But here's the thing. They also go over – there's that whole part where, they're like, they're talking about him voting for Trump, like, when they're checking into the hotel. Yeah. And there's that whole moment of, yeah, I voted for him, something had to change, which – Again, there's the white version of that, which is people voted for him just like, hey, let's vote for Trump. I'm not voting for Hillary. <laughs> but there's also the legitimate version of that, which was a lot of people just saw Hillary and saw this same shit they've been fed before. And at least with Trump saw something different. Right. And for black people, especially like, again, most black people had the good goddamn sense not to vote for him. But the ones that did did actually see, okay, here's something who might be able to throw a wrench into things and do something, anything, to shake everything out of apathy. 
And for that generation that went to Vietnam, that fought, that got screwed over by their own country, and even by, you know, again, very liberal people that were in office, were being ignored just en masse. Trump represents at least something different from that. So that shit from the movie where it goes from, okay, it's four guys on an adventure to we're lost on an adventure to this guy is batshit insane in the middle of the jungle and all his sins are remembered. That's not even like that far of a jump. It's all the stuff that is boiling underneath, like all the just ugly toxicity boiling underneath the black experience coming up to the surface. And that's something that I think Black Klansman kind of failed at because it kind of it flinched a little bit the further you got into it with, you know, yes, all this is happening. All there's the Klan there. We have to stop them. But it's also very much, hey, the cops are OK. You know, at the very least, you know, some of them are trying to do good. Like Spike hedges his bets in Black Klansman in a way that, you know, it's still powerful, but it's in a way where even just two years after, like all of a sudden it's functionally useless. This, on the other hand, is a conversation that needed to happen. And again, it's a messy conversation. The movie is messy, but I also think all that is, again, stuff that needed to come out. So... I actually didn't mind the MAGA hat that much because I think it helps inform Delroy Lindo's character. For that reason, I was okay with that. But sort of the separate diatribe that his, uh, the anti-Trump diatribe that his son goes on at the bar, that just felt like Spike Lee directly talking to me through a character and it didn't really have much to do with the movie. Um, and then there's like, even if you get rid of that, there's the weird subplot about the three white characters, including a French woman named Hetty, who run an organization that clears still active landmines out of the Vietnamese jungle. I honestly thought that stuff just padded the movie needlessly. It was not helped by the fact that Hetty's general mood just kind of swung wildly, depending on what the scene needed. Like she was into Delroy Lindo's son, and then she's pissed when he follows his father's orders and backstabs her. And then like 15 minutes later, she's totally cool with him once that situation gets comes undone. It just felt like padding to me. I don't know if the movie needed any of that. Did, did, did either of you guys think that the, the <laughs> white people were essential to the movie? Stuart, white person, tag in. <laughs> so I I get why they're there. Um, Good, because I don't. And, Tell me. And Well, I, I kind of feel like, you know, they're not really a deus ex machina because, you know, I mean, the, those people exist. I mean, that, that kind of organization is, is real. They're very active. You know, and you are, I mean, it's entirely possible that you would run into a group like that, you know, if you're traipsing through the jungle with backpacks full of gold, you know, as you do. Well, I will say, um, let me, before, so, you, wait, so, before you go on, let me just say that at first, I, I did think that at first, and we're going to, again, we're getting into spoilers here, people, but when, when, when someone steps on a landmine in that movie, I thought, okay, this is why we got those people. It was to set up that there are landmines in this jungle. But then they're in the whole rest of the movie doing major things. Uh, well, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it, they're, I think they're there for a reason, but then he just kind of lost his way with it a little bit. I would say that they're definitely probably the least uh, least essential part of, of the whole, uh, you know, the whole proceeding. Um, you know, as far as everything else just kind of being overstuffed and imbalanced and, and, and whatnot, I 
I don't disagree. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're right that it is, but I, I have difficulty faulting Spike and the movie for it because you definitely get the sense with this that he's just kind of been given, you know, a blank slate, no real restrictions. You know, we certainly haven't heard a whole lot about, you know, Netflix dictating the terms of, of, you know, of content and scripts and, you know, tons of notes and stuff like that, the way that a, a studio normally would. And so I, I find it difficult to blame him. It's like, okay, he's, he can literally do whatever he wants. They probably gave him a pretty good budget for it. Uh, although I'm mad that they didn't give him the money for, you know, de-aging the way that they gave Scorsese the money for de-aging. Oh, we're going to talk about that, but go on. <laughs> Uh, but you know, so it just, you, you get the sense that he's just it's like, Oh, I can do whatever I want. I can put whatever I want in there. All right, fine. Here we go. Here's the totality of what I want to say in the way that I want to say it, uh, with no one telling me what to do. And so it, the movie probably could have been tightened up some, uh, you know, with another pass or two at the script, but you know, I, I, I think it works more than it doesn't. Yeah, and again, I, I you know, if we're doing the old Cisco Ebert thumbs up, thumbs down thing, I'm giving a thumbs up. It's just, it's, it's just a little bit of a soft thumbs up, and I think there was probably a better movie here if, if yeah, he would have trimmed it a little bit more. Uh, I have more nitpicks, but before I get to them, I want to say something positive. This cast is excellent. It's, For, it's the best cast. Oh yeah. Of, of the year. I mean, even, even if movies weren't sparse this year, this would still be, <laughs> this would still be like, you know, in the top five best casts. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, like, even when the Oscars end up happening, which is probably going to be like, I don't know, 2029 or whenever <laughs> it is. But when that happens, Delroy Lindo's walking away with an Oscar. Like, that's just how that's going to go. Like, he is so just, he goes on a ride, this movie. He's and really it good in it. Insane. Uh, I think Lindo's great. Uh, I'm a big Clark Peters fan dating back to The Wire. I love when that guy pops up and stuff, and he's really good in it, too. Lindo is, like, one of those guys that's been around forever, and, you know, we see him pop up, and, like, you're watching Get Shorty, and there's Delroy Lindo. But, like, this seems to be, like, something he's probably been wait- – a role like this, a meaty role like this, he can really chew into, and he's sort of the headliner on. I feel like he's probably been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah, and Spike keeps on trying to use him to that effect. Like, he's this good in Malcolm X. He's this good in Crooklyn. He's pretty much in a whole bunch of Spike Lee movies where he's giving this level of performance, and Spike basically just kind of threw on the gauntlet with this one. He's just like, no, no, you're not just going to be, like, the supporting character in this one. You are the lead in this one, and you're just going to knock it out of the park, and he did. And then on top of Lindo, Stu, we get two guys from The Wire here, Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock. You know what? I I, I actually started rewatching The Wire recently and was reminded of how much I love those two actors. And so seeing them both play characters that, you know, are pretty, pretty damn different from, you know, how they're burned into my brain from The Wire is was just you know, a, a lovely reminder of how talented those guys are. I do have a nitpick. How? Well, you know what? Before we get to that, let's talk about the de-aging since you brought it up, or, or lack of, we should say. So there are flashbacks in this movie to the Vietnam War where we get, you know, Chadwick Boseman, who's, what, a generation or two, I guess two generations probably younger than the rest of these guys. 
yeah. and we get flashbacks to the Vietnam War with him serving as their squad commander. However, he's played by, you know, 40-year-old Chadwick Boseman, and the rest of them are played by these actors who are all, I, I don't know, what are they, 60s, 70s, mid-70s? They're all old enough to be his dad. Yeah, we're, no younger actors, no CGI for de-aging. You're just left to use your imagination that, you know, these guys are younger in their scene, in these scenes, but they just don't look it. Uh, I honestly couldn't think of another movie where that choice was made. Does anybody? Oh, yeah, have... you, you I... absolutely can. Tell me. Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Goodfellas. Well, yeah, yeah I guess you're here's right. The thing, because, and again, not to, you know, cause podcast competition here, yeah. but I remember this exact thing from Unspooled when they covered Goodfellas a couple months ago. Right. Which was Amy Nicholson's big complaint was that. All these guys are supposed to be like, you know, in their mid, well, for most of the movie, they're supposed to be in their mid 20s. They're supposed to be young guys, but it's Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, and Robert De Niro. But in the moment, the main thing that, like, everybody disagreed with her was that in the moment, it doesn't really matter because what matters is that these guys, these exact actors as they are, are carrying the intensity of the scene. Which, you know, for the Irishman, yes, it's impressive that they got them to de-age, you know, all these guys down to what they were. But at the same time, it's also not a necessity. Like, it's something that you can do, but, like, I think it's a choice all the way. And I think it's actually a little bit more meaningful in this just because these guys as old men remembering just how – Again, and keeping in mind, I mean, Chadwick Boseman in this movie is supposed to kind of represent, like, the rebellious spirit that they could have been chasing had they not just had this experience in the war. And Chadwick Boseman is the last guy who doesn't compromise. Like, he's always about that revolutionary life, even when he's sitting there fighting this war. So the fact that he's just this one vibrant, full-of-life, angry black man among these old men who were, you know, they got there and they were already tired of this war. I think that that feeling of just heaviness with the rest of them compared to him, I think that is more important than the fact that they look Chadwick Boseman's age. I, I wasn't sure about it for a while while I was watching the movie, but I ultimately decided that it was a good thing and actually a strong choice. I think I think it helped for me to think about it like those flashbacks are presented as them remembering what happened. So, you know, as they're remembering what happened, they're not really remembering it as their younger selves. It's it's them. I mean, they were there. And so it's almost like this direct way of putting them straight into their memories as they're remembering it in the present day. And I, I by the end of it, I thought, you know what, that worked. I mean, I'm, glad, I'm glad they did it that way. Although it's probably it's interesting. We get a still picture at the end where they're de-aged in the picture. I don't know if it's using makeup or CG or whatever, but you get one shot at the end saying, hey, this is what these guys look like all together. And I thought that was a cool little touch. Right, like that memory, like when they're actually living it, again, it's it works a lot better with them being old men. But that picture, I mean, there's really no way around right. that. Like yeah. they can't be old men and just that physical picture that they hold of them being in Vietnam. I, again, I think in the moment it works a lot stronger just with them being old men in Vietnam while just there's this one X factor who just will not be that old ever. There's also the cool thing where they drop from widescreen to a 4-3 ratio when they do the flashbacks. And I'm always a fan of messing with aspect ratios. So I thought that was a cool creative decision, too. Well, yeah. and not not just that. Like, he does uh, he does three uh, three changes. He does the, the 
four to three using uh, it's either eight or sixteen millimeter. I think it's sixteen millimeter. Oh, it's like shot uh, on actual old film stock. Right, uh, but then when they're in Vietnam, but not in the jungle, um, it's it's the it's I can't remember my aspect ratios right now. It's it's the letter it's letterboxed uh, widescreen when they're just in the city, mm-hmm. which is I don't know it's 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 the best use of changing aspect ratios since you know Grand Budapest Hotel. Ooh, which is still the best example, probably. <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 with you guys. I mean, I think thematically it works, um, and it's worth it for me, um, even if just for that uh, that one part, you know, in in the plane. I'm trying to be purposely vague here between Chadwick Boseman and, and Delroy Lindo. Uh, you know, when it's their last time together, right? Uh, as soldiers, uh, and I don't, I don't think that would have worked as well, uh, just as that scene, and it definitely would have taken some power away from his closure uh, moment. You know, when he's just out, in, you know, out in the jungle, having that final, you know, vision. Um, that part would have been lessened you know, without all the other flashbacks having, I mean, it just, it, it brings that catharsis full circle in, in, in a way that, that would have been less effective. Otherwise, I, I, I totally think. agree. Cause I sit there and think, well, how does this movie play if they cast younger actors? Well, it, it doesn't play nearly as well if we don't see no, you lose that disconnect and that scene. So what happens if Netflix gives him the money to de-age? Well, one, they're probably not going to, so that's a pipe dream. And two, we know that ends up looking wonky and not so great sometimes. So I, I, I like the decision. Right, like, again, The Irishman worked just because, again, that's kind of the, like, that's the point that Scorsese was trying to make. Like, it's these young men playing in a young man's world, but, like, there's consequences after. So it's more important that they look very kind of clean and, you know, unblemished at the start of it, and then the the life that they're living takes its toll. Right. I think, again, when these men are young and in Vietnam, like they're already like, again, they're black in Vietnam in the sixties. I mean, they're already screwed over in so many ways, just being there. So again, I think it works with them being old by the, the second they get there and Chad with Bozeman being the odd man. And like you mentioned before, just when they get to that last scene and it's, you know, a completely just squandered Delroy Lindo, Versus, you know, a still, you know, a dead, but, you know, a Chadwick Boseman does not grow old. And I'm right. so sorry that I keep forgetting their character names, but I'm always bad with that anyway. Delroy Lindo but... is Paul. I know Delroy Lindo is Paul. They passed that. Don't ask me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm terrible with that in general. So Bo- Boseman is Norman. If anybody in this movie ever listens to this, I am so, so sorry. <laughs> but just, you know, a completely exhausted Delroy and Lindo versus like Chadwick Boseman just being there and being exactly who he was like never growing old again I think that's the more powerful statement for what this movie is supposed to do as opposed to if they, I think if they gave Spike all the money to do to the agent I don't think he would have done it anyway for the record I do hope like I think Netflix should just fund Spike Lee for the rest of his career I'd be totally happy with that like just let let I let, think he would too let Spike Lee do his thing keep funding the man's movies. He obviously has a lot of important and relevant things to say. I hope this isn't a one-off. 
from what it looks like, it might not be. I mean, they gave him a bunch of money to make a She's Gotta Have It series. Right. Nobody was asking for that, but he wanted to do it, and he did. And then they got this movie out of it. I think they're in his business, and I hope they stay that way. Okay, so Isaiah Whitlock drops a shit in this movie. It's like his catchphrase now. It's basically it's, contractually obligated. it's basically Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, I'll be back. So my this is a very serious question I have for you guys. This is not a joke. But should a movie about important social issues and featuring vivid real-world imagery of children killed in raids also include a guy reciting a heavily memed catchphrase that's like his, like, wink-wink calling card? Because honestly, there's a weird disconnect with me there for it. But honestly, here's my thing with it. Because my first thought, especially seeing these guys together, like, especially in the hotel lobby, pretty much every single one of these guys is like reminded me of my father because my father was actually in Vietnam. Like he, he like to hear him talk about it. He was all these guys kind of like all put together. That's kind of how they would talk no matter what situation they were in. So the fact that Isaiah Whitlock is just kind of like very, and again, like if you've ever heard him talk about why that thing became his catchphrase of sorts, like it's very much of like you know listening to his grandfather talk and just like that's just what would happen whenever he was you know wanted to put some fucking stank on whatever he was saying <laughs> for him to bring that in in the movie about him playing a you know a soldier in Vietnam it fits even if it is very very familiar but again that catchphrase isn't like just his like that's just how you know black people of a certain generation and a certain upbringing that's just what they would say in any given moment I liked it, but again, I also think, again, it's obvious, if you haven't seen that post credit scene, it's obvious right there that they're also in on the joke. Yes. So it's a, it's a needle that they're trying to thread. I think they thread it. I think if, if he had done it more than once, it would have been a, a bit distracting, but I, I, it works perfectly when he finally throws it out there. So, it, you know, but I, I, I think it's fine. You know, I mean, he he was, you know, he's been using that since before he was on the wire. I'm pretty sure he used it in Crooklyn or Clockers. Yeah, Clockers. You know, so it's, yeah, it it it, it works. It's fine. Uh, if it had been more done more often, maybe then there'd be something to it. But yeah, no, it it works. I I have two more mild critiques, and then I'll shut up. I thought I I thought there were a few weird edits. There's there's a section where after the group takes back control from from Paul from Delroy Lindo and they they've got the good guys, not the good guys, but the the people who have it a little more together get the guns back and they plan to tie him up, but in the next shot they're all just like walking out of the woods together. He's not tied up. There's like a really weird edit there. It makes me think that I don't know if stuff was cut out or how this movie worked in the editing, but there were some parts that felt a little rough to me. Uh, you know what? I also didn't love the score. I, I thought the Marvin Gaye songs they used were really cool, but the actual score I felt intruded on the scenes too often. Uh, there's a part where all four of the bloods are kind of going at each other and it's supposed to be like this intense dramatic scene. But instead of just silence, which I think would have worked best on the soundtrack, there's this sort of rousing war epic music in the background and it kind of grated on me a little bit. That one, I think, is a little bit more valid. Just the score didn't make an impression on me at all, which Most. is for Spike Lee film is kind of rare because he usually has at least a score with a personality. 
most modern scores just kind of roll off me anyway. You know, and this this was no different. So it, it's really kind of depressing to say, but it's like I I I didn't notice it enough to complain about it, uh, which just happened. God, it just happens way too often anymore. So so let me say this. That's the end of my nitpicks. Uh, I think Spike Lee has been an important voice for a long time. And considering the state of America today, I sadly don't <laughs> see that changing anytime soon. I think he'll continue to be. Uh, I really liked Black Klansman, and while I didn't like Defy Bloods quite as much, I still think it's a movie worth watching. I definitely think Spike has, still has a lot of important things to say about the state of America and black Americans' place in it. And like I said, I, I definitely hope Netflix keeps funding this guy's movies. Anything you guys want to add about Defy Bloods, do it now. I, I mean, we, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Uh, let's do uh, uh, Justin Top 5 Spike off the top of your head. Malcolm X, Do the Right Thing, Crooklyn, probably this, and 20, um, 25th Hour. Yeah, that I, works. I want to – same que- – I'm actually adjusting that question. If someone had come to you, Justin, today, a 22-year-old, and said, I have not seen a single Spike Lee film, what ones should I watch? What ones do I have to watch to start getting caught up here? Would it be um, the same five, or would you arrange that based on maybe topic or impact or – I'd say it's the same top five, but again, I'm in this weird minority because I also think Malcolm X is his best movie, and literally everyone else will say, do the right thing, like that's his most vital movie, and I will rebuke that at every single point. Malcolm (laughs) X is the exact movie, and not nearly as many people have seen it, will see it, that's something that needs to change. But I also think, like, that's his epic. That's his Lawrence of Arabia right there. That's where I would start. Stu, who are we recommending The Five Bloods to? Recommend this to people who love war movies, but think they know what a war movie is and should be. Okay. It's, I, I kind of go back to those three things I said earlier. If you like, I mean, it's a, a, a very simplistic way to describe this movie is it's a heist film, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right, if you like war movies, if you like heist films, if you like, I don't know, help me out, Justin. Who are we telling to watch this movie? Well, here's, I'll, again, put my own experience at the forefront of Please all this. Please do. So, for this particular moment in history where there's a lot of white people thinking, what can we do, how do we fix this, this is the kind of movie you watch. Because, again, it's not... I think the mistake that a lot of people make when they're like, recommend me some media about black people. And it's always focused on our pain, our suffering. And, you know, this certainly doesn't ignore that. But at the same time, again, it's a heist movie. That's not something you see with black people all that often, while also highlighting a different kind of spectrum of what has been done to black people over history. Like, this is very much a... These are people that were sent to war, just barely have an idea of why they're even there. And they have this shot at the money that they should have gotten, one, but will also set them free. Like, if anyone looking for an idea of what reparations would do, about what the government seriously stepping in and saying, we have screwed these people over long enough, here's how we might be able to fix it. Like, all these different 
answers to these questions that keep being asked over and over and over again. This is a movie that actually has some relative answers and explanations as to why and what can be done. So for that purpose, I would say this is very much a, like a vital movie of the moment, just to get away from the only way you can help is to watch a movie about a slave sometime in February. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually thematically, I think that's the strongest part of the movie, sort of the idea of, you know, we we served for this country and we bled for this country like everybody else. But yet we haven't had the same opportunity since then. It's just sort of what a bad deal that is for these guys and was for these guys. And I'll, I'll jump in one last time, not to cut you off there, but like one of the big things that struck me like very early on was like they, Spike makes this really nice kind of elegant comparison between what happened with the Vietnamese after we basically ran in and tried to shoot up their country versus what's happening now. And then contrasting it kind of along the way with what happens in black neighborhoods. Like I grew up in Jersey and there's parts of Newark that literally there were race riots been in the sixties. There are places that have not recovered. Right. Like there's still like, you know, the same shops are still boarded up because nobody can afford to move in there. Nobody wants to move in there. Like there's still places that are just that level of ruin and we keep on anyway. And there are parts of Vietnam that are the exact same way. Like, they're in the rich part of that country in this movie, but there's still parts of it that are just very much never recovered. So that parallel is like more powerful as well. Just seeing like, you know, Hey, it's not just, Hey, we were in Vietnam and we got over it. No, we're still feeling the effects. See, this is why we brought you on the show. My good sir, Justin, tell the fine folks listening where they can find you online. Uh, by and large, I'm over at Slant Magazine. I do a crap ton of their video game reviews, and less often, but quite prominently, I am on GameSpots. I'm working on something that's under embargo right this second that should be up tomorrow. Well, uh, whenever the hell this goes up. It <laughs> yeah, it'll be. probably be yesterday by the time this goes up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So July 9th, there's a review going up on GameSpot for a very cool thing. And other than that, um, yeah, I can be found at Justin Clark on Twitter, mostly ranting about most of the shit I was talking about on this episode. So enjoy that. <laughs> I I enjoy it. So yeah, they should enjoy it too. Well, thanks. We, seriously, we re- there's no way we could have done this episode without you. So we really appreciate that you came on and joined us to talk about it. Well, thanks for having me, Stu. You I care a little less about. I thank you a little less, but it was it was well you should. It was still good. As well you should. It was still good that you were here. Oh, well, okay. Uh, Thanks for the participation trophy, Bob. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on that next episode. Bye. The Unfranchised is a film podcast produced by the staff of Coltspark.com and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Your support is essential in our ability to highlight smaller films by growing our audience. You can follow our hosts on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor and at StubbyDoo. For updates on The Unfranchised, please follow the show on Twitter at The Unfranchised or follow CultSpark on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CultSpark. You can email us at TheUnfranchised at CultSpark.com. Visit cultspark.com for print reviews and essays on films in the horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and noir genres.